0: for being here this morning. If Jesus has not been raised from the grave, then this is the worst country club ever. We are here because we worship the one true God, and it is the, the foundation that we build our lives upon that a guy came back from the dead. And what do you do with a guy that you can't kill? You do whatever he says, right? Right? And because Jesus has risen, then we study about his life. We study about his teachings, not just to know him better, but he tells us who we are. Um, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke, the 22nd chapter. Here at Katusa, First, we work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. We do that so we can't skip the hard stuff. And we are almost done with the Gospel of Luke. We're going to have two difficult passages that we'll look at today, not difficult to read, uh, no big words for me, thankfully, right? Sometimes I get tongue-tied, but uh, they are somewhat contested, and hopefully we will be able to figure it out at least to the best of our ability. And usually if there is a verse or a section of scripture that has several different understandings, I will try to let you know, like, hey, some people view it this way, some people view it that way. It can be either or, but this morning I will give you what I think is the best explanation of what I think is going on. So Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 31, if you got it, would you say, I got it? I love it. Luke 22, verse 31. I'll give everyone else time to get there. It's not a race. I want us all to read together. Now, if you remember, Jesus just did the Last Supper. And then as soon as he told his disciples, hey, I'm about to die, they go right into the discussion of, so which one of us is the greatest? Right? It's like a father saying, kids, I have a terminal disease. And they go, who gets the most in your will? It shows their immaturity. And we're going to see more of the disciples in maturity. In fact, it's almost as though the disciples don't grow up until they see Christ resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And all of a sudden, they begin to really grow in their walk with Christ. What they were desperate for, all of us have freely. So I hope that we would be pushing and pursuing maturity in our life. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon... Uh, This is Jesus talking. You know how I know that? It's in red in my Bible. It's a cheat code I got. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. All right, so we are going to dive headfirst into this and begin to break it down. What is really interesting is that when Jesus is talking to Peter, he doesn't call him Peter. What does he call him? Simon. Why is Jesus calling him Simon? It is Jesus, the one who named Simon Peter. Peter. Why is he doing that? Because he's not acting like Peter. He's acting like Simon. Sometimes, even though God has given you a new heart and a new mind, you open up your suitcase, pull out the old one, put it in your head, and you use that one for a little bit. And so you get right off the bat that Jesus is perturbed, right? Like he's kind of upset with him for what he's going to do. But what I absolutely love... He says, when you have turned uh, again, strengthen your brothers. This is verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, you are going to fail. And every single believer here has failed and is going to fail. He says, but I've been praying for you that after your failure, what you have learned through that journey, that you will turn again and your mistakes will actually help other people be stronger. Your mistakes only make you weaker if you don't learn from them. But God, Jesus himself is praying for Peter. He says, I pray that you will be stronger and that you will come back and you will strengthen your brother. Now, there's something about Simon or Peter that I, I want to address. Uh, I want us to actually look at when Jesus names him because I, I want to show you, and this is a very short rabbit trail, so just go with me on it, okay? Just, just nod your head that you're with me, all right? Okay, we're, we're going on this little trail together. Uh, I'm going to turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It would be helpful if you turn there. So Jesus is just starting his ministry, and he picks his disciples, and he's going to ask them, who do you think that I am? Who am I to you? And everybody has a different answer. Oh, some people say you're this. Some people say you're this. He's like, I don't care what other people say. Who do you say I am? At Matthew 16, verse 18... Simon Peter, now Matthew has already put the Peter on there. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which is Simon's real name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So the first person to say that you are the Messiah is Simon. And because he does that, he's the first one to recognize it. He says, Simon Bar-Jonah, I'm going to call you Peter. And then he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you're familiar with other religions at all, you'll know that this is one of the major places where uh, the Roman Catholic Church and Christianity split. There's, there's quite a few roads where we split, but this is one of the big ones. And I want to show you how when you're not careful with Scripture, it's easy to uh, get off track, right? It's easy to start cults, to start—and uh, not— all other denominations are cults, but there are a lot of other denominations that are cults, right? So, but not all of them are. There's denominations that we are brothers and sisters in Christ with that we have different views on things, but we can love them. We can do ministry beside them, right? This is, there's not a Baptist only gate when you get to heaven, right? Um, <laughs> I like that joke more than y'all did. But. One of the places, and this is helpful for me because it helps me see that if when we're not careful with Scripture, how easy it is to get off track. So he says, I'm going to call you Peter. The word Peter, uh, petros, means rock. Right? And then it says, and on this rock, I will build my church. But in the Scripture, in the Greek that is used, there's two different words for rock. One is Petros, which is Peter, and the other one is Petros, which means a solid, giant, and movable stone. Now, the Catholics would say, because when they read this, the Roman Catholics, they would say, see, Peter is given these unique keys to the kingdom, and so we trace our lineage to him, because if you don't start with him, then you have no real authority. So he's like the first pope. Right? He has this special authority, the keys of the kingdom, and whatever he says and decrees has special authority. And they say, see, look, right here, it says that on Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. But the word that gets translated into Peter, Petros, does not mean the same as the second rock that we read about. One means a slither of rock, like a small piece, and the other one means a big, unmovable stone. And then there's a verse in 1 Corinthians, uh, I want to say it's 14. 1 Corinthians 10.4 is very specific, saying that Jesus is the rock. So when Peter recognizes, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. It's on the truth of who Jesus is, not on a specific disciple. That's the rabbit trail, okay? So if you ever have friends or family members or loved ones who are Roman Catholic and they say, we actually have the proper authority because we can trace ourselves all the way back to Peter, and I say, that's great. It doesn't matter. Here's what the Bible says, right? In a loving, kind way, right? So uh, we say, that's actually a misunderstanding of what Scripture says. So now you see, though, a little bit why Jesus calls Peter Simon in Luke. He was the first one to recognize who Jesus was. And he's been with Jesus this whole time. And he says, but now you're going to deny me. First you recognize me. And now a little bit of pressure is going to come on. And you're going to deny me. Jesus is preparing Peter for his failure. He's going to feel guilt and shame. And it's okay to feel guilt and shame, right? But don't live there. Don't stay there forever. What you need to do is figure out why you feel guilt and shame. Wrestle with that. Confess it to God. Get into Scripture. Seek wise counsel. Saying, hey, I feel awful because of this. Repent of whatever it was. And then come back so that you can strengthen other people. You know, we've, uh, as a church, we've had a, a lot of opportunities to minister to people who've struggled with addiction. And you know who is usually the one that is helping people overcome their addictions? People who were addicts. So whatever it is that you have failed at big time in life and you have come back to Christ, that is something that God has given you to help other people who are struggling through that. God will not waste your wounds. He is, there are certain things in your life that he has given to you so that you can strengthen other people. Now, we're going to come to this strange part uh, that is somewhat debated. I'm sure you and your friends get around on a Friday night and you debate this passage all the time, right? Isn't that what you guys are doing? Uh, That's just some of us, right? Um, I'm going to read it again because I think what this tells us is fascinating. Like, I absolutely have fallen in love with this. Verse 35, Luke 22, verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So is Jesus telling his disciples, hey, things are about to get tough. I'm going to need you all to sell all your stuff and buy a bunch of weapons. (laughs) Right? And there are people who interpret it that way. Like, hey, Jesus is getting close to where they're going to take him, beat him, and eventually kill him. And so he's preparing his disciples for what is going to happen. Hey, guys, they're about to come after us. You better get your sword to defend yourself. But there's a story that comes right after this where Peter actually grabs a sword to try to defend them from taking Jesus. He cuts off a soldier's ear Jesus tells him to stop it. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then I just love, I have this mental picture in my head of Jesus, because it says he heals the soldier, just picking the ear up off the ground and going, hey, you lost something, and slapping it back on his head, right? Like, there it goes. Hey, look, it's good as new. I can hear even better, right? You drop this, bud. I got you, right? And so he tells Peter not to use the sword. And this whole time, Jesus hasn't asked any disciple to pick up a sword, He's gone this whole way. He's been been, uh, run out of town. People don't like him, right? He hasn't had it easy, per se. There are times where Jesus has to escape. So why all of a sudden now is he telling his disciples to get a sword and then just shortly later telling them, don't use a sword? What is going on? Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 3. This is one of the benefits. I, I, I will, I've said this before. After we're done with Luke, I want you to spend some time at home. You can read the entire book of Luke in an hour, maybe even less. This is how the early church would have sat down and read it. Right? They would have read it, and then they would have read it again, and they would have read it again, and they would pull, have conversations about it throughout the week. But if you read it as a narrative story, as Luke wrote it, as like, You would catch these things, right? Luke chapter 9, verse 3, and this is Jesus. He says, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And it says they departed and went through their villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus, when he begins to send them out, he says, you don't need a walking stick. You don't need extra clothes. You don't need any of that stuff. And he's not telling them, somebody will give you some later on. He says, you just go and say, hey, can I stay at your house and have some food? Share the gospel. You got somebody sick? Let me try to heal them, right? And then go to the next house. But here... When he is telling them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, no, Jesus, we didn't lack anything. You provided for us the whole way. But now let the one who has a money bag take it. Well, where did their money bag come from? I told you to go out, not have a money bag. Did I provide for you? Yes, you provided for us. You were faithful. God, you called me to follow you. I followed you and you provided for me the whole time. Great, I'm glad I provided for you. Why'd you bring all that stuff with you? Didn't I specifically say, don't take anything? And now he says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, a knapsack, two things specifically Jesus said, don't take with you, and now they have them with them, right? And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is going to be found among some rapscallions, right? Y'all know that word. And so some commentators say Jesus is telling them to buy swords because they're basically going to play dress up to look like bad guys. Now, I didn't think that was a good commentary on this because he says go Sell your your tunic and go buy some swords. And one of the disciples says, Oh, look, Jesus, we actually already have some. They were right here behind this rock. We forgot to tell you about them. So the prophecy that he would be found among the transgressors was true, and Jesus was trying to show them. And this is what I think this is trying to teach us. He says, I sent you out. I told you to take nothing. We've been together for three years now. I'm about to die. And in an ironic way, he's telling them, you know what, guys? We better get prepared. Uh, Remember when I told you not to bring anything? They're like, yeah. Well, now I want you to sell all that you have to go buy swords. So they're caught because they brought what they weren't supposed to bring. And then when he tells them to buy swords, they don't need to because they've already got it. This is adventures and missing the point. The disciples are on this adventure, and you and I are on this adventure. We constantly misunderstand what Jesus is trying to teach us. When he says, I will provide for you, we go yes and amen. And then when it comes time for God to actually show up and provide for us, we go, I'm just going to need a few things in my backpack, and I'm just, God, I'm trusting you. I'm following after you. I'm just taking a few things. I just, I just got enough stuff. I know you are my rock and my shield. You are my protector. I'm just going to have a few other things just in case you're late, right? Do you track with that? Do you, do you see what he's doing? That he's exposing to them, though they think they're grown, there's still a lot of growth to happen. And what most of us do, at least the disciples, they, they had this much maturity. When Jesus said, go, they at least went. They at least went. That's more than a lot of us do. God says, I want you to go and I want you to take nothing. You're just going to live off the land and the generosity and live by faith. And they at least go that far. And many of us, we trust Christ for our salvation but then we take our sanctification into our own hands. Like, you're not worried about where you're going to go when you die, but you're worried about your bills. You tracking with me on that? Any kind of disobedience, right, any kind of doubt is disobedience. If God says, I will provide, and you say, yes and amen, and then you ignore his provision, or you don't even give him an opportunity. See, many of us, you have a five-year plan for your life. And now, three years in, you've forgotten that five-year plan. You have a new five-year plan. And then once that gets there, it, like, the plan is all about just trying to create some kind of nest egg or shell of protection from the outside world. I'm just going to do these things. I'm going to protect myself from the economy. I'm going to protect myself from the bad guys. I'm going to protect myself from all this stuff. I'm going to make sure I have enough financially. And the Bible talks about being responsible with your finances. That's good. But my question is is have you talked to God about your five year plan? Does it even matter what his opinion is? I I have this friend, uh, Keith Wheeler. He's an incredible guy. And I bet we could get him to come speak here one Sunday. Uh, he travels all over the world. He, he has a cross that he carries, and it's got a little wheel on it. And he has literally traveled the entire world carrying a cross. And he usually goes to a place when something violent is breaking out. So he sent a message, he updated this morning, that he had landed in Ukraine. And what I, I'll tell you what he will do is he will walk across the middle of a battlefield, He's done this in Afghanistan. He's done this in Africa. He's done it all over the world. He's been shot, stabbed, hit by cars. He's been bit by animals, run over by animals. Like, it just, he goes and he has nothing. He takes a cross, and at the bottom of the cross is like a bag that's like about this big that has like one change of clothes in it. And then when he got there, he says, I didn't have any food. I hadn't eaten all day. Someone offered me a Snickers bar, and he was praising God for his provision of the Snickers bar. Now, a lot of us, if God only provided a Snickers bar for our meal, we would be upset and we would be furious because, God, we demand more. But, man, what stories does this man have? It's incredible. It's incredible. As he goes, and he just prays for these nations. As he walks across, he leads, as, as he's going on these dirt roads, he runs into people and leads them to Christ. And that's not what God has called all of us to do, but he was willing to go, and he's trusting in the provision of God. He makes mistakes and he fails too, but those failures make him stronger, and he begins to strengthen the body of Christ. It's, it's interesting I always wonder, what is God calling you guys to? What is God, what is God like ministry, what does he put in your life? I, I'm lucky right now that my calling and my vocation go together, right? Like I'm, I'm lucky, my calling, what God has put in me is to teach his word. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, his grace is immense that I'm allowed to have my vocation and my calling mixed together. But do you think my calling would change if I had a different vocation? Don't you, don't you think if God has called you to do something, he's called you to do it no matter your circumstances? And a lot of us, we have no idea what God has called us to. We don't even know how to step out in faith because we don't know what direction to go. And The Bible has made it extremely easy for you like it really has. Oftentimes when we think of, well, I don't know what my calling is, we are thinking so specifically. And I can encourage you just to walk in a general direction and God will get more specific if you will walk in the right direction. Do you know that he has made our calling so obvious he has made it biological? Isn't that crazy? You wonder why there's such an attack on biology sometimes? Scripture says, When you were a child, you acted like a child, you thought like a child, but when you came an adult, you put childish things away. So I can tell you, if somebody is a kid, there's a biblical uh, command to allow them to play, right? When you were a child, you acted like a child, and it's okay to be a kid. Now you got kids in like second grade, like what college are you going to? You better make sure you have enough extracurriculars. You better start studying for that SAT right now, right? And we're like robbing people of their childhood, the Bible says, when you're a kid, be a kid. Now, there's tons of verses about young men. There's Psalms about, young men, how can you keep your ways pure? So one of the things that young men are called to is studying God's Word so they can be pure in heart and mind. Right? What does Scripture say about older men and older women? Very specifically, it says older women invest in the younger women. Older men invest in the younger men. Why do you think the enemy fights so hard to create generational gaps? Because the devil doesn't want the young kids knowing what the old folks do. Because there is wisdom and knowledge in our senior adults that is incredible. Right? So if you want to know what it is you're supposed to be doing, are you a guy or your girl? How old are you? And that gives you a really good start in your direction. And then as you begin to go in that direction, God, you begin to find what are your talents? What is, it, what is it God has given you a natural ability to do? I don't know if this surprised you or not, but I talked a lot before I was a preacher. Before I became a pastor, I sold copiers, right? I was the youngest ever Minolta account executive for the JD Young Company. It's a really long title just to say, I sold copiers door to door to businesses. But a salesman is somebody who just talks. But when you take your talent and you begin to use it not for your own kingdom, but to build the kingdom of God, guess what? Your talent has become a spiritual gift. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, what is it you like to do? What is it you like to do? I like to garden. Okay, have you, seen, have you seen our bushes outside? Everything's dead. <laughs> yes. Please come and use your spiritual gift to make the church look good, right? Do you love kids? We can't find teachers for certain classes. Use your talent for a spiritual gift, right? Walk out in a step of obedience, and he, guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. The disciples are an example of how messy spiritual growth is. But there's still growth. There's still growth there. Messy growth is still growth. I'll take it all day long. So I hope the sword passage makes a little bit more sense um, that what Jesus is showing them is they trusted, but kind of. And, and I, we all do that. You trust Jesus. You trust him for your salvation. But do you trust him for your occupation? Do you trust Him for your sanctification? Do you trust Him for your day-to-day? Do you trust Him for the salvation of your kids, your grandkids? Are you trying to control everything? you got to have control. Control is an illusion. You don't have it. God does. So it's better to trust in Him. Amen? All of this growth that we talk about is possible only because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. We see that the disciples are flawed, that they are sinful, that they are rebellious, but Christ died not only for them, but for you and I. And because of what he did on the cross, you and I can be free from the penalty of sin and death because Christ bore it on his body. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we will be saved. If there's somebody here today that you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you, you can grab me or one of the other elders. If you're an elder, would you raise your hand? We got David over here. We got Brent back there and Ryan over there. You can grab one of them or just about anybody in this church would be more than glad to pray with you on how to come to know Jesus Christ. Right? I think most people in this church I would trust, whether you feel like you're confident or not, I'm confident in you, that you could tell somebody how they could have a saving relationship with Christ. During while the band plays, I want you to take that time to say, whether or not you know Christ in your heart, the second thing is, are you trusting Him? And it's a simple message. Jesus is just trying to show the disciples, hey, sell all the stuff I told you not to bring to buy swords. Oh, you got swords? The the expression that He says, it is enough, Uh, Every commentary that I could find did agree that that was him ending the conversation out of frustration. Not like, two swords is good. That's not what he's saying. He's like, enough of this talk. You guys are missing the point, right? Like, I'm on my way to die. Just let's just. It's a parent with their child. Look, I'm just done having this conversation, guys. Like, we're just done, right? While the band plays, um, we take communion here every week. The cracker, the bread, whatever you want to call it, that is a symbol of his body being broken for us. The blood is a symbol of his blood being spilt for us. So we take communion every week to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is always front and center, right? Let me pray and we'll have a time of response.